Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Okay, welcome to the Rapture's Rapture podcast. I am your host, Mike Massetti. Joined with me today is Brian Boak, as well as Nathan Beagley, is it? Yeah, that's correct. Nathan Beagley of uh, King James Gospel, uh, fan-sided sporting event, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers website. Sorry about that. Um, For those of you who can't tell, I did lose my voice watching Ohio State play this weekend. So I will be a little rough and been leaning on Brian and Nathan today. Guys, how's it going? We're very well. We're better than you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's true. Um, guys, let's go ahead and perhaps, Nathan, you'll set this out as me and Brian talk about the Raptors' most recent games, um, starting with the Knicks. Brian, what's your opinion on kind of how that game went down? Sorry, the Knicks game? Yes, the Knicks. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, the, the Raptors have over the last couple of weeks showing a marked lack of interest in starting well. I don't know why. Even against bad teams, they sort of uh, shuffle along for half or even three quarters of the game before suddenly finding some energy in the fourth quarter and and rolling to victory. And uh, that was, uh, the next game was an example of that. And and so was the one against, uh, I know we haven't got there yet, but against the Nets and and, uh, ultimately, of course, the the Dallas game, which they needed to to come back just to get to overtime and then won it in overtime. Um, So I I don't know why they keep doing that, but clearly they're uh, a much better team than the Knicks. And once they got rolling, they didn't have too much difficulty with them. 
Yeah, I'm not sure why they have been so slow to start lately. It feels like it, the problem doesn't persist as much with teams that are good teams, but it's more um, teams that struggle and teams that they feel they can beat. Yeah, and any team can beat anybody in the NBA, as you guys know. You just cannot afford the luxury of taking teams lightly, ever. You know, they, they just barely got by Dallas uh, after having lost to them in Dallas in, in December. And then Dallas's record is appalling. So figure it out. Yeah, the, the, the thing I remember from the Knicks game that was so surprising, or no, I shouldn't say surprising, that helped the Raptors out so much was offensively the Knicks just – the Raptors did what they wanted against the Knicks. Um, looking at the box score now, they shot 45% from three and 50% from the field, which you're going to have success anytime that happens. Well, I mean, it's a team like, like the Knicks who have trouble scoring at the best of times. I mean, not the Memphis Grizzlies, but their offense without Porzingis is uh, pretty, pretty soft. Nathan, what do you think? Uh, there's a there's a lot to be said, but overall, you guys are looking very very good entering. Especially you guys, how many games do you know? Are you up in the one seed now? Uh, well, after today's loss, we're four, I think. I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. Yeah, so you're. It's it's way, four in the well loss column. Yeah, it's four in the loss column. Sorry. I wouldn't be stressing uh too many March losses yet, but yeah. You guys have been looking nice throughout the stretch. Um, Brian, next uh, game is one you referenced earlier, is the Nets game, which, of course, was ugly for the first half and then turned around starting with a run kind of early in the third quarter. Yeah, and, and again, you're getting the, the full team pitching in to uh, to lead to a solid victory over a very undermanned team. I mean, I, I like the Nets. I think they've got some interesting pieces, but they're three seasons away from even 500, I would think, at this point, unless I'm firing lightning striking one of their players. Um, so I'm just obviously happy to – it's always nice to get to get road victories, and that was the second of what turned out to be three straight road victories. So that's uh, always pleasant. And, and, again, you just cannot – Take teams lightly, and, and fortunately they didn't, and we, we got a solid victory. And then there also was the game against the Indiana Pacers, where the Nets, or I'm sorry, where the Pacers, um, the Raptors got off to a good start, but then by half they were down again um, against the Pacers, and really it was kind of an exciting game throughout, and it. It was a more defensive game than you usually see the Raptors play. Um, 106, I guess, would be around their average amount of points. Um, Brian, what was your big takeaway from the Pacers game? Well, we were kind of lucky to win. Uh, it was a, a very poor first three quarters, I thought. Um, fortunately, the, the defense tightened up in a serious mode in the second half, which allowed our guys to come back because we were a bad deficit situation, relatively speaking, down eight at the half to, to Indiana, but brought it back within two and then and then uh, took it in the final few minutes of the game. 
So it's the, the Raptors are a very formidable team up until today's game when the game is on the line, which is obviously for me a terrific uh, rehearsal for playoff time because we're going to see games like this time and time again. So I was uh, very pleased to see that even with the Raptors having a, a mediocre at best shooting night, that they were able to to pull out the victory late. Yeah, and I think it, if you told me that Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner were going to combine for 20 points, I would have said the Raptors ran away with the victory. And it, it was kind of interesting to see the bench struggle in that game more than they have in the past. Um, the bench, pretty much all of them were minuses on the night as far as their plus minus. And it was the starters that carried the Raptors to a victory. Yeah, it was a very sorry. It was a very weird game in the sense that that I mean, you're right. The, the bench of Indiana played out of its mind. Darren Collison, 22 points. Al Jefferson, 20. Are you kidding? I mean, that's almost like a misprint. But there they were. So this is a clearly a team that you cannot uh, count out at any time. Fortunately, we got, they, they had a terrible game from Bojan Bogdanovic, who's normally a reliable shooter, but it's one for ten. So that helps a lot from our from our point of view. Yeah, their big their three leading scores combined for twenty six points. So you would have thought that the Raptors would have had that easily, but when you see Al Jefferson turn back the clock and Darren Collison looking kind of like he's at the peak of his career, that kind of offsets their poor play from their starters. Well, almost did. Almost carried them to a win. Yes. In another game, which the Raptors almost lost, was the 122-115 battle with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Brian, what what was your takeaway from that game? <laughs> that I don't want to see a game like that ever again. Uh, that uh, you know, Demar Derozan just just dreadful. You know, he, had, he ended up with 29 points, but eight for 23 from the floor. Yikes! So that's that's pretty grim, and that's that's seven of 20 from within uh, inside the arc, which is very uncharacteristic for him. But he just missed jumpers all night, and that made the game a heck of a lot closer than it should have been. So that wasn't very pretty. Um, it was interesting to see DeLon Wright respond well, getting the start at, at the point spot. So, you know, you could take solace in the fact that, that Lowry got a rest day out of the deal, and that's okay. But it almost cost us a victory, which is not okay. Yeah, uh, with Kyle Lowry playing or Kyle Lowry missing the game, you should have no problem beating the Mavs. I mean, <clears throat> that's just a team that's relying on Derek Nowitzki at this age shouldn't be a problem for you if you're one of the better teams in the league. And it was tough to watch Harrison Barnes kind of just own our defense like that. Oh, yeah. He was 11-20 in getting what he wanted. Yeah, and watching it, it seemed like he literally, it seemed they kind of ran everything through him, and it seemed like he could get a point whenever he wanted to. So it was not a good sign. And then Dirk had eight points as well. Um, even at his age, man, that jumper is still something fierce. 
doesn't get old. And then, Brian, we can talk about the Raptors' win streak finally coming to an end, um, and we'll say a controversial ending. Um, Brian, what was your overall takeaway with that? Well, I, I was appalled at how bad they are front, our starting front court played. I, I, to get two such crappy games from, from Valanciunas and Ibaka in the same afternoon was distressing to say the least. I mean, it, it, JV had two rebounds. How can JV have two rebounds? That's unthinkable. He gets that in the first five minutes in most games. And, and Ibaka made his first two shots and missed his next nine. He did very little uh, defensively. He's he's worrying me because he, he tends to stand and admire his shot and does not box out, uh, does not follow his shot. Like I mean, I played enough ball to know that when you know your shot's going to be short, go after it. And he just stands there. And he's, he's caught in no man's land. And the game is too quick for that these days. You don't have that extra second that maybe you, you might he might have had when he was younger. To, to turn and react to get back on defense or to attack the boards if you miss a shot, whatever the case may be. But he's nowhere, and that's very disturbing. So if you, it's one of the advantages of seeing games rather than being stuck with the television watching because you can you can focus on a player and realize that's not right. That's technically poor play. So I, I'm I'm disturbed by him, and I almost wonder if it isn't time to either sit him down and have a talk with him or or put Pascal Siakam in, uh, in for a starter for a game to see if that gives a some cold water to the face of Serge Ibaka. Yeah, and speaking about the front court, I mean, the Stephen Adams tore us up all game. He was dominant against us. He ended up looking at his stat line. He had 25 points on 10 of 13. And really, that Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams pick and roll killed us all game. Well. Uh, I'll, I'll preempt my own uh, recap by saying that uh, it reminded me of the glory days of Jose Calderon feeding Chris Bosch when the Raptors were, were tearing it up and, and when those guys were at, at, their, at their peak uh, 10 years ago or so. So, yeah, I, it, was, it was remarkable to see and it was deeply distressing to see that play, the, simple, the world's simplest play, the high pick and roll, worked again and again. And having no response to it. And, and even when there was a response to it, which is Lucas Naguera coming in and playing like playing superbly for all of six minutes, he gets subbed out and never sees the floor again. What the hell was that about? Yeah, I'm not sure what was going on there. Why in the world he didn't stay on the court more. He was clearly effective when he was in there. He was the one bright spot we had. And we went back to Valanchunas, who has been struck who struggled all game. I mean, he was fine offensively, but he clearly couldn't stop that pick and roll. He, he's too slow. Um, he has problems dealing with Russell's athleticism out there. And I just don't understand why Bebe didn't play more. If I was part of the press corps, that'd be the first question I'd ask. I wouldn't even ask about all the ridiculous number of, um, technical fouls and guys getting tossed out at the end of the game and that kind of nonsense, which really spoiled the whole thing as far as I was concerned. But um, I, I would say, why in the world did you allow your, your slow-footed JV and your poor shooting 
surge to be the defensive stoppers when they weren't stopping anything. That's right, and, and looking at their plus minus, uh, Nagara was plus 15 in the time he was out there. So he clearly was working, and you look at Valentunas was minus 12, Abaka minus 23. It was one. It was disappointing to not see our bench beat their bench by a larger margin, considering that it's filled with uh, Josh Hustis and Raymond Felton. But it was perhaps just as bad to see DeRose and Valentunas and Abaka being outscored during the majority of their minutes on the court. Yeah, but as it's one game, the Raptors still have a good lead on the number one overall seed, and I think they're it's they have to feel better now that OG and Anobi's back. The team is kind of picking and choosing which guys it wants to rest at this point. It feels like, and they are in the driver's seat. Well, absolutely. So it's, it's definitely a nice thing to have a buffer between our team and the Celtics, or for that matter, anybody else. So, yeah, you can, you can have a game like this that is, is a disappointment, but it's only one loss. I mean, we're 11 and 1 in the last 12 games. I don't know how you can complain about that very much. Right, exactly. And they're, they had a win streak of however many before the All Star break as well. Um, that was broken up by a Bucks loss. So there aren't many teams, if any, that are playing better than the Raptors right now. Um, Nathan, speaking of seeding, are you guys going to drop all the way down to the sixth seed or what's your guys' plan? For the um, well, I think as far as I'm concerned, we have a pretty favorable schedule the rest of the way. We play the Nets a couple games against uh, Charlotte. So I I honestly think that we'll be able to come back up. And as for the Cavs, I think they'll probably regain or stay at the three seed. I don't see them dropping, which I think is honestly good for you guys. Because seeing us in the third round, you guys are a much deeper team than us. And albeit LeBron doesn't get tired, I'm sure a lot of the players like Kevin Love, who's been injured a couple times, and J.R. Smith and players that have played there for a while, they'll be getting tired. And in the third series, so we're probably talking 15 games over the 82. We'll probably, uh, I think we'll stay at the three seed, though. Definitely. I don't see us losing games. We have a we have a three-game home stretch with the Bucks and the Suns, and we play the Nets, Heat. Our, our remaining schedule, besides playing you guys twice, is very favorable to being able to win the rest of the games. Well, can I jump ahead a bit and ask you if if the playoffs started tomorrow, you'd be facing the Philadelphia 76ers. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel I would feel much better about maybe the Wizards dropping. The okay. 76ers just don't match up well with us because they have a very defensive they have a very long team especially with Simmons at the one and our defense is so bad we usually let Reddick just shoot five for seven from three every game so do I like the 76ers 
No, do I think they'll probably win a game or two? Yes, but I think with LeBron, it's not going to be hard to imagine us winning any first-round game in five or six. And just looking at the schedule right now, Cleveland has the 19th hardest schedule remaining or the 11th easiest, um, but the Raptors are really the team team that's dragging that up. They have two games remaining against the Knicks, a game against the Nets, a game against the Mavs, Suns, and Charlotte Hornets. So, I mean, it's hard to imagine them losing any of those six, and that means you just have to go something like four and three in the other seven games and you're, you have 10 wins of the remaining 13. So I mean, 10 and three would get to the three seed, I would believe. Yeah. And I think the seeding actually plays a bigger role than people think because that first round matchup, I would really like to see like the bucks, but there are a lot of different ways it could go. And ultimately, it's going to mean that um, ultimately where we place is going to mean a more difficult or an easier first round. And for LeBron, that's going to be huge because we need LeBron to rest as much as possible for a long series against the Celtics and the Raptors, obviously. So I think seeding is more important than people give it credit for. But ultimately, I don't think it's huge. Right. And I think for the Raptors, it's kind of interesting seeing it kind of seeing it all way out below as far as I, I think I would rather face a team like the Pacers than I would the Bucks, even though the Pacers have a better record. The Bucks are really good when Giannis Antetokounmpo plays. Um, their plus minus is actually uh, very solid. And when you get to the playoffs, I think it makes sense if you're Milwaukee, you play Giannis 44 minutes and you deal with the consequences. So I think it, it's interesting to see how it shakes out below. I think that the seven seed might be a harder matchup than the six seed or four seed, possibly even. <clears throat> yeah, the Bucks, the Bucks pose a very interesting threat moving forward. As well as the Pacers are uh, 76s, I think, because when Joel and B gets to play every game, you know, it's a different animal, and they're so good defensively that I think it it would worry me to kind of play them in the first round. Is it will be kind of a knockdown, drag out fight, and I think they can tire you out. From what I'm looking at, though, the 76ers. I don't know what your site says, but they probably have one of the easiest schedules remaining. So I feel like they should be able to bump up to the five because the three and the six right now are separated by a game and a half. Yeah, they have the easiest schedule remaining. Um, Exactly. They play the Grizzlies, Hawks twice, Orlando Magic, Mavericks, and the Brooklyn Nets. So. Easy. That's a gimme. Yeah. Um, That's a six-inch putt, that is. Finish that season on a 14 win streak. They do have games with the Cavs. Their hardest games remaining, according to Tankathon, are the Cavs, Timberwolves, Nuggets, and Bucks. So, I mean, I mean, even those games are impossible to win. Nathan, what's it like, Ben? What 
watching the Cavs team this season that has seemed so almost, I'm not sure if apathetic is the right word, but they seem kind of non-concerned about what's happening on the floor around them um, at this point in time. Well, I think the postseason is going to be a completely different animal. I think uh, the first 15 games following the All-Star break, if it's been 15, I'm not too confident on the exact number. But I think those without Kevin Love and without Chetty Osmond's been out, Tristan Thompson's been out, Rodney Hood's out for a couple games, I think there's just going to be a lot of uh, a lot of pieces that come back and a lot of things that are actually going to make the team look better. So I would really look to see how we play you guys twice and you guys are like we went over with the one game against the 76ers. Those three games are really the three that we'll be looking forward towards the postseason on. And I think that those are going to be the biggest indicator if we're healthy and if we're able to click. Because on paper, they have one of the best, if not the best team in the East, partially just because LeBron's playing at such a high level. But on the court, it seems like a different story because they can't stop giving up over 110 points per game. Yeah. So it's, it's easy, that's, that's, but it's hard. That's death in the playoffs. To somehow find your defensive mentality uh, in the playoffs when you haven't had it all during the regular season. That's, that's a hard way to live. It's a hard way to watch, too. I don't want to watch them give up 125 or some points to Denver. <laughs> like, Denver's a good team, one through five. But it's not it's not easy to just sit down and watch every game expecting to see no effort on the defensive end. Right. And um, so last year, Cleveland also was a terrible defensive team. And in the playoffs, they mustered up to about 14th overall, or they ranked normally where it would be 14th on defense. So they were able to improve some. Do you expect a similar improvement this season? Um, I would say probably yes, but it could be probably no too. I think it's a lot of it's with the pieces that they play and the rotations that they do. And with so many new players in and so many old players out that played so much, I think it'll be difficult to be able to really understand how to operate around screen and rolls and how to really like defend a DeRozan or defend a Kyrie when he comes into the pick when we haven't really faced them with this new team. Yeah, maybe so it'll be interesting. Maybe Ty Lue has another secret defense that he used to reference all the time last year. Well, the thing about Tyron Lue is I'm not, I'm not a believer in his system either, or I'm not a believer in the defensive coordinator system. He was actually the defensive coordinator when Stoudemire and Nash were in Phoenix. And if you remember that team was the same the same thing as Cleveland. They were amazing offensively, but they were kind of defensively challenged. Yeah, the, those teams were about average defensively, but I think if you're Cleveland, you would take 15th in the league at average if you could. Well, you know, at the same time, we kind of are taking 15th in the league in average because I was writing the other day on, obviously, our site, King James Gospel, and I believe we're 14th or 16th it's either just over or just under halfway after the All-Star break, which is when we got, obviously, our four new players. So I think 
we are 15th, straight dead in the middle. So I think there's a lot to be said about how we're really going to work in the new players and not having a 5'9 point guard on our team. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize you guys were 15th, I guess, in defense since the All-Star break. That's a, that is a huge um, – that's it's a huge loss. It's not, it's not great. Yeah. I think uh, I heard one stat that said the only team that's been in the bottom 10 to win the NBA Finals, in the bottom 20 in the NBA Finals, was the L.A. Lakers led by Kobe and Shaq. Yeah, that yeah, that's correct. That Kobe Shaq team, which was infamous for kind of not caring throughout the regular season and kind of were the regular season favorites of their time. Um, it it was easier for them to coast because they were the defending champions. Yeah, which is kind of what I'm seeing here, but it's kind of scary because I don't think outside of LeBron, I don't think this team can really score score efficiently i would say but i think kevin love returning and everyone meshing is going to be huge moving forward and i think as we relate that to the raptors i think it's going to be really huge the last couple games especially i think we play you guys maybe the third to last game of the season no the fifth to last game of the season so if i was a raptors fan and i'm listening to this i'm highlighting april 3rd because i believe kevin love will be back and that's going to be the game. That's going to be our playoff preview game to see that third round matchup. See with possibly, but with the Raptors up on the Celtics, if they go on a run here, I'm not sure we won't be sitting some of our starters at different times. Oh, yeah. If you guys get six games up, there's no reason in keeping Lowry and DeRozan in for 30 plus minutes. Well, the Raptors have been very lucky this year on the injury front. So you can be sure that uh, what Mike just said is absolutely accurate, that Dwayne will cheerfully sit everybody down. I mean, with the second unit as strong as the Raptors anyway, it's not like we don't have a legitimate chance to win just playing those guys, um, plus bringing up a couple of guys from the from the minor league squad, from the G League team. We could actually beat some teams. So, And, and, and again, it doesn't matter. If we have a five-game lead with three to play, who cares? Stay healthy, you know, play enough minutes just to remember what it's like, and go sit down because we don't need tired starters when, when the real games start. It, it will be interesting to see if Casey and how he wants to play that strategically, like kind of with some gamesmanship. Do you not do you play your starters as hard as possible and try to show the Cavs you're the better team and kind of prove it to yourself? Because I don't think LeBron particularly cares, but more prove it to your own team that you are good enough to beat this team or do you just relax play nobody and kind of don't show them anything moving forward so it will be interesting to see if he kind of how he plays that as far as the gamesmanship aspect or at the same time on the gas line, you could kind of twist that because we haven't we're finally going to be healthy when we play you guys and we may not want to show you guys how we're going to operate in our defensive sets moving forward either. Yeah, yeah, it works both ways. The only difference is you guys have seating to worry about. Um, but, I mean, it will be interesting to see kind of if Cleveland locks themselves into a certain seed, whether it be the three or the four by that time. Maybe, like you said, 
if you're Cleveland, you don't want to show anything until the playoffs. Um, <clears throat> speaking of, yeah. go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, I've got a little, what I think is an interesting defensive uh, data point here, which is that Cleveland ranks 27th in the league in block shots with 4.0, and the Raptors are second behind Golden State with 6.0. So that's, uh, doesn't sound like a big disparity, of course, but it's two whole block shots per game, which can make a difference. Games can turn on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have a true center until we got, well, we have Zizek now. But Thompson is not a shot blocker, but it's the same with Big Val, honestly. They don't get up over a couple feet off the ground, mostly. They're mostly planted. They mostly are there for rebounding. And we don't we don't thrive off shot blocking defensively. We're going if we're going to win the finals this year, we're going to thrive off holding teams to one shot and just getting the rebound. Yeah, when you guys when you play Love and Thompson together, the and you put Love, Thompson, LeBron, the the rebounding at least is solid um as far as that's concerned. And I think that helps with Larry Nance. He's he's a good rim protector, but he sometimes struggles uh, rebounding when you when you surround him with LeBron and Kevin Love, it will really help him out. That's the goal, definitely the goal moving forward. Um, Nathan, how how do you think the Cavs are kind of meshing since adding all the new pieces? Has it been a rough transition? How's it gone for you? Well, I think it's. While it's been, I think it's been a smooth transition for somewhat for the most part, I think the injuries have really hurt us because we traded six capable players away. We traded away Channing Fry, who played us big minutes off the bench, traded away Dwayne Wade, who gave us capable minutes, and we brought in four players, albeit they're younger, we brought in four. So I think we lost some depth there, and with injuries, it's been uh, it's been kind of hard to really – take a grasp on how this team's going to mesh come playoff time, which is partially why I'm not too concerned about the seeding. But I was concerned about the first couple games after the break. We're six and seven since the break. And really, I keep referencing the break just because, as most of the Raptors fans would even know, the bonanza that we did at the break just completely retooled our team. So I think they meshed... I think they could mesh very well. Their defensive rotations and their defensive mindset is going to really be the key for them, in my opinion. And that's, yes. if, that's if they had this team or last team. It's all about – it's not about offense anymore. It's not about will Rodney Hood hit a wide-open three when LeBron drives or will LeBron get his 35 a night in the postseason. It'll be about the energy and intensity defensively. Yeah, you hope. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, you're, you're right because Cleveland is not a long team. If you compare Cleveland to someone like like Milwaukee, it's insanely long. And uh, you're going to need to make a lot of shots. And I'll grant you quite happily that both Thompson and Kevin Love are very good offensive rebounds size, but they also have been hurt. So. If, if either, either you're going to get a lot of three-point buckets or uh, because if you don't, there's going to be some difficulties 
getting enough points to overcome the, the likely defensive problems that you're going to have. Because this team is not it's, – it's a lot to ask the team to, to gel with the last 15 or 20 games or even less than that at this point by the time everybody comes back healthy. And if, if that can be done, that'll be a remarkable accomplishment for, for the Cleveland players and the coaching staff. Nathan, I, I, while we have you here, I kind of want to get a couple of your thoughts on the Raptors team. Um, what are your overall takeaways from the Raptors so far this season? Well, I think I have two takeaways. I've watched a couple of your games, not too many. Not obviously not a huge Raptors fan, but I think for starters, DeRozan's been phenomenal. Uh, 24 points per game almost over a three per game. He's actually, I, I would be surprised, but five is 5.1 assists is probably a career high for him, right? It is. Yes. So he's really become a distributor along with being a scorer, which I'm sure that really helps Lowry bring into himself and really help get everyone involved. And I think my second takeaway is your bench. We're talking, we'll probably meet you guys in the third round. And with LeBron being in his eighth season of a hundred plus games, almost, I think you guys going 11 deep will really strain the Cavs. And I think your bench has been very impressive. So it's not shocking that you're what 52 and 18 because your bench is just, you win, you win in this league by having a couple stars and having a great bench. And I think that's just been very impressive and I've been impressed with Casey. So I think all around you guys have looked very well. Obviously we're all, we always know the Raptors and Cleveland as not a great postseason team. So we're going to have to see if DeRozan can finally come to himself in the couple postseason series that you guys are bound to play. Well, that's a pretty good analysis from my point of view. Um, I would say that uh, the, the big hope around town is that the weight of winning postseason series does not fall entirely on Lowry and DeRozan like it has too many times over the last couple of years and that the uh, additional offensive power that, that uh, Valanciunas, and sometimes if he's in the mood, Serge Ibaka is showing, will be there, will be prevalent. And, of course, the, the, we've never had a bench like this one, so it's not even possible for me to compare last year's team or the year before to, to, the, to the, bench, the bench bunch, the way that they are just throttling opposing teams. And the margin is just crazy. So... Uh, I think you're, you're, you're spot on to be concerned about, um, about the Raptors bench. As Casey has said, that he is not having, has no intention of changing his coaching style when, when the playoffs come. He does not plan to shorten his bench unless he's forced to. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if that has any impact. If, if the Cavs series turns out to be seven, six games, it will be interesting to see one team that were, I would assume the Cavaliers – rotation would kind of shrink and the Raptors are going to be playing a full 10-man rotation constantly. Yeah, Tyler is kind of notable for going eight or nine deep. He doesn't go, he doesn't keep the full 10 or 11. Which, which I think it's common for, um, for playoff teams. I think a lot of playoff teams treat the rotation to the best seven or eight once it comes time. But with Toronto, the bench is played so well that I don't think you want to ruin the chemistry that they have, and I don't think you want to change what you've been doing, um, what's led you to 60 wins. 
Exactly. Nathan, has Jira Smith been sulking since he's been put put on the bench? I think he actually had a really good game the other day off the bench. Maybe went four for seven from three, which J.R. Smith has really been an interesting tale all season and even into last season. Because if I don't know if you guys are just huge NBA fans and watched all the NBA finals as keenly as I did, but last season in the NBA finals, games four and five or three and four, I forget which ones, but he put up five, seven, something threes like that. So it's interesting that Lou benched him because he's still obviously a valuable asset to the team if he can get going, but you can't have your starter going over five. So I think, I think he was upset. And I think on our podcast, we went over that. It was really interesting to see how he went from throwing soup to supposedly just okay with going to the bench. Yeah. I really hope that he gets it together, but I think a lot of his scoring was also put by playing with LeBron. I think that's really how a lot of our team scores. It's just off LeBron. I, so um, I think he'll go into even more of a slump, but we'll have to see, because he's definitely notable for making those hard shots. So I, I just want to say one first, I think, we need to instantly apologize to all our listeners at this time. I can't believe we've gotten to this point of the podcast and no one has brought up the J.R. Smith soup incident. Until <laughs> I, I, need I to think uh, I forget what soup they said it was. Uh, it was so I, I've read so much about this. Do we know what Damon Jones said to him that made him so angry? I'm not sure we know, but I think it was kind of like leaked that he wasn't starting. And I don't think you want your assistant coach that I would guess doesn't already have the best relationship with Jr. to be telling him that. But it was, it was just funny. Like, how do you think that went down? Like, you're just sitting at lunch and just bang, there goes soup at your coach. Like, how do you get so mad? You did, he, soup at did he throw it o- overhand? Did he throw it underhand? Did he use a Frisbee <laughs> like technique? A frisbee style? Did he use a frisbee technique? I need I need to know how hot was the soup. Was it good it soup? Burn, Did he yeah. waste it? <clears throat> yeah, that that story. And when I heard it was an assistant coach, it was funny. And then when I figured out it was Damon Jones of all people, that's what really kind of tied the entire story together. Honestly, it's what makes us the Cavaliers. It's my understanding that Damon Jones is, is a motor mound, like just an absolute nonstop babbler. And so it, it seems appropriate that he would be the guy to, to let the cat out of the bag about J.R. Smith being on the bench. And maybe he, he heard enough from him already and reached the tipping point through the soup. It's very silly. I have a gut feeling that J.R. Smith does not like babblers. So if that's true, you're probably right on. I read that in Hoopside. Yeah. And they're probably uh, right on. Damon Jones, uh, he was such a great personality when he was in the NBA. He has a quote. I'll look it up real quick. Um, talking about how he's one of the best shooters in the world and nobody can stop. Here it is. It's no pressure at all. I'm one of the top five shooters in the world. I love to shoot. I love to shoot the basketball. So, I'm a big fan of talking about how he could beat Michael Jordan. (laughs) Jesus. Um, Yeah, so 
with your team gelling, you said that the rotations will cut down. Do you think there's any chance, Nathan, that JR is cut completely from the from the rotation once the playoffs come? Because I think you have to give wing minutes to both Hood and Corver ahead of him, correct? I honestly want to say yes very badly, but I don't think so. And it's just because the fact that I went over earlier, I think his potential to make shots that Corver can't make is the reason that he should, not should, but will get time. But he's just so poor defensively also, and it seems like he's just lost a step. So overall, will he? I'm not sure. It'll. Our rotation is definitely going to be one of the biggest storylines as we move into our postseason. Speaking of your rotation, I'm looking here at the Cavaliers' Bulls uh, box score, and here we've got a point guard named Jose Calderon with nine points, six assists, and seven rebounds, second only to LeBron James. Like, you can't see, you can't put the old guy on the shelf because he just keeps on coming back and making an impact. You have to be impressed with how well that guy's playing for you. Oh, a hundred percent. And the problem is we act like our team acts like he's only valuable when other people are injured. And that's the, been the case all season. If George Hill's okay, if Jordan Clarkson's okay, Hill or Calderon goes back to getting under five minutes a game. If he even sees floor time. And that's really weird because I understand he's not athletic, but he does what you want from a backup point guard. And especially playing alongside LeBron, having that mindset and obviously having the former Raptor in him, it, may, it makes him a valuable asset. Yeah, I, I doubt he gets any run during the postseason if healthy, because I think they probably give it all to George Hill and Clarkson, correct? Yes, that's, uh, that's the thought process. So I, I I don't think Jose could could keep up with uh, with Kyle Lowry or frankly any of our point guards anymore. He was he was not a good defender ten years ago, an uh, on, on the ball defender, and he's got to be a lot worse now. It's, oh it's, yeah, he's definitely not a great defender. It's but so it, impressive that he's so make issues. Yeah, he's gonna know where to go, and it's impressive at this age that he's providing you anything really. And I mean, he, like Brian said, he's been good, and it's impressive that perhaps he's earned himself another contract next season, and he'll get to continue to play. That would be remarkable. I'm I'm also just not sure about that, only because he's just I think he's going to be like 37 next year or something. Yeah, and Calderon uh, is already not athletic, unless they really think that his mindset's that superior to some 23-year-old that some developed like Devontae Graham college kid that you can just pull up. I'm not sure that he'll continue after this year. It, it ultimately might come down to if he wants to do it or not, but what he's shown me this season, I think if you're the Cavaliers, he's better off. I think he's further along this season than what I thought he was last year. I was surprised he got this contract already. And I think he's shown that if you don't feel like giving minutes to uh, or giving a roster spot to a 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid, you at least know Jose Calderon can provide competent minutes as a backup. 
Can I change the topic slightly here? Go ahead. Since we've dealt with the incredibly important matter of the, of the stoop going flying, I'm interested to know uh, about the 800-pound gorilla in the room called LeBron James's plans for next year. Come on, Nathan. What do you think? Oh, he's not going anywhere, guys. <laughs> I don't. I don't get all the uh, all the mayhem. I think. I honestly think he's done so much for Cleveland, and I think his kids are here. His kids probably have friends here. I'm sure his wife has friends that are in Cleveland. I'm just not sure that. I think the only thing that could take him somewhere else, if it's Paul George, before LeBron says anything, Paul George goes to Cleveland or Paul George goes to LA, and. I don't really see Philadelphia or Milwaukee or really any other place because Houston would have to give away. They would have to give away. They would have to destroy their entire roster and they would have to completely be untrue to themselves and give away Capella and really all the things that make them succeed. Um, I, I don't think they, if you were, if LeBron says he wants to go to Houston, I think they would be able to make it work with, uh, LeBron, Ryan Anderson, and a couple first-round picks. I'm not positive on that. You may be right, but I feel like – so you're saying they could do that while keeping Capella? Yeah, because Capella makes nothing. So he wouldn't help them, and he's a restricted free agent this year, so they would go into the tag something crazy. But, I mean, if you get a chance to add LeBron, the revenue is going to be so great. What do you care about going into the tax? Yeah, true. Especially with LeBron, the merchandising that they bring in. It'll definitely be interesting, but if you're asking me my gut opinion, I think LeBron finishes his year in Cleveland. I think a lot of it also depends on if he gets Trey Young, if he gets who he wants in the draft. Because I've always thought it was weird how the draft is before the free agent signings, which maybe that's just normal. But I think it's definitely going to be based on how Cleveland treats LeBron because I don't think that his relationship with Dan Gilbert is making him stay, that's for sure. Not from what we've read. Yeah, not from for sure. As perhaps not as close a follower as Nathan, but – um, personally, I could see him signing a one-year deal with Cleveland, running it back, and then waiting a year until L.A. is better. So what's to stop him from signing another one-plus-one deal where he has a one-year player option and then him re-upping, making one last run with Cleveland and then turning to L.A. to go play? Oh, there's nothing that necessarily stops him from that. But you also have to think at that time he'll be about 30, 35, 34 and a half. And it'll, he'll still be amazing, don't get me wrong. But I'm not sure that an L.A. team, unless you get a Paul George, even in a year or two will be able to finesse their way to beating Golden State if that team is still intact. Right. I think he has to team up with another developed all-star to get another ring in his prime. Sure, maybe, maybe it's not L.A., I think perhaps he just signs a one-year deal with Cleveland and says, I don't like any of the options right now. Everybody gear up for me next season. I think that's more likely than him leaving after this season. My thought process is if he does exactly what you did, what you said, signs a one-year with Cleveland, 
and then maybe he just goes and takes eight million a year when he's 35 through like 38, 39, and he just plays to get those rings. I mean, what's stopping him from doing that necessarily either? Absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, I, I was curious, so I looked up the salaries. It would take the Rockets, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, who are on one-year deals. Um, they could trade Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, and then someone like Nene or PJ Tucker would be even more than enough, and that could get it done for them. I think they're the big, they're a bigger threat than LA Lakers to me, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see them being a threat, but I think for the immediate future, I think it's definitely still in Cleveland. Yeah, I agree. I think they're the the favorite. Um, Nathan, what do you think you're going to do with that Brooklyn pick? Do you think that ends up getting traded for a real playmaker once the offseason comes, or do you think they take someone with that pick? Well, ever since LeBron said that he greatly appreciated Damian Lillard, I thought the mindset that Cleveland should have is if the pick ends up being number seven and you don't want to wait for Colin Sexton or Trey Young to develop or like a Wendell Carter, you trade that for Damian Lillard because you know that the Portland experiment isn't cracking up to be what they want it to be because they have no cap from all their Evan Turner type signings. Yeah. If, if you're Portland, is that enough? you to trade Damian Lillard I mean I understand this trade of class is loaded but the seventh pick for a guy who's playing I mean out of his mind right now Damian Lillard's been like he's been a legitimate not a real candidate but he'll be on a lot of people's MVP ballot Mm -hmm. yeah I uh it'll definitely be interesting because I think that Damian Lillard if Portland doesn't make any moves is going to start getting fed up because we saw his meeting with the management that he had right before the trade deadline, I believe, and then nothing was nothing really happened. Hmm. So that'll it'll definitely be a toss up to see if it's a player like him, or maybe they, I don't even know who else they would want. Maybe if they lower the price and maybe ask for McCollum instead, so that Lillard can get another star in the draft beside him. Right. I, I think Portland's definitely one of the teams they should be calling. But Nathan, did you know when you have a young point guard who's an all-star under contract, you don't have to trade him right when he's upset, are you? Yeah, I did not know that, actually. In Cleveland, we believe that if your point guard says something, you trade him even if he averages 30 a game. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't a- have him work it out with LeBron. Just send him off. Yeah, that's a brilliant tactic. I just I feel like we could have at least if if Kyle Korver would have hit the three in game three and we go to game six, is it different? Does Kyrie does Kyrie not get as upset? That ever there's a lot of situations that play through my mind and just how Cleveland's offseason went and how their next two seasons will go. Uh, yeah, it to me the farther away we get from it, it kind of shocked me that they didn't just say, forget it, we're going to bring you in, and if you're going to sit out because you're angry, then sit out, kind of call his hand on it. You don't have to trade him. He's under contract, and eventually these things kind of work themselves out. Remember, Kobe Bryant demanded a trade. The Lakers said, no, we're not going to trade you. 
and the Marcus Aldridge with the same scenario. You're, yeah, exactly. Um, you look at how it worked out. Like, if you're under contract, I would just be like, "Sorry, Kyrie, but we're not going to trade you." Guys, I've got five minutes from the break. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and talk about with these last five minutes. Nathan, give us a preview of the Raptors, Cavaliers. How does the series go? Give us your prediction. It was last year or two years ago that we – two years ago that we played you and we went to six, correct? That's right. I think it's going to go similar. Honestly, I think we probably snag one of your games. I think we probably win game one. You guys win game two, give us both of ours at home, give you game five, and then we bring it home and win it. I know you guys probably have a completely different view, but that's my opinion. That's how I think it's going to go down, and I'm not sure that the East is ready to uh, overpower LeBron quite yet, even with as good as you guys seem to have developed your players and how good of a season you've had. How do you guys – do you guys think that – per se that you guys will take it to seven do you think it's you what do you think the probability is that you actually overpower lebron and beat cleveland because it's really not even beating cleveland it's really being able to tame lebron uh, brian what do you think i have said for a long time that as far as i'm concerned the raptors are ready to go to the nba championship finals. To do that, of course, they have to win the East. To do that, they will likely have to take on and defeat the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think that'll happen, and I think it'll happen in five games. Whoa, five games? Well, you know, if I'm asked my opinion, I'm going to give it. Oh, no, no. By all means, I just, that was surprising. It's quite the hot take we have here. Well, and and why not? (laughs) Let, let's yep. get out there a little bit. By the way, the Pelicans are leading the Celtics with four minutes to play in the third quarter by seven points. No, ten points now. Oh, my God. Miritich just made a three. Anyway, um, the reason that I say that is is I I simply think that the, the difference in chemistry between the two teams is too great for for Cleveland, despite LeBron, to make it up. I think I think it's, it's just ten guys against four or five or six, and I think our ten guys – can beat your six guys. And I think that'll happen fairly quickly. I think that, that game where, where we blew you away a couple of months ago in Toronto, which was, was supposed to be such a dramatic and exciting game, and it was, it was a, you know, the Cavaliers laid an egg. Uh, I, I think that there'll be more of that, more than you might like to think. 133.99. Now, that, of course, is an extreme example, but I still think we can win the thing in five. <laughs> Um, I'm not quite as confident as Brian. I would put our chances, to be honest, I would say a little bit below 50%, but I think it's the first time that it's, before I would always say it was below 10. Now I think you start to have a real sizable chance at a victory. Uh, I agree with that. You know, like in the the past seasons, I don't think there was any kind of worry from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, This year, I think at least 
there has to be focus on what's going to happen, not only with, uh, well, I guess, I don't, as a Cavs fan, are you more worried about us or the Celtics? Definitely, guys. Definitely. Because the Celtics are too inconsistent for me to think they're too huge of a threat. Yeah, with all the injuries that um, they've had lately. And, inexperience. Yeah, and just problem scoring. It will be nice. Do you guys, do you have any kind of desires to beat Kyrie in a seven-game series? <laughs> oh, we have desires to sweep Kyrie. <laughs> I'm not trying to play that out to seven games. That's giving him too much. <laughs> All right. We'll see how that ends out, though. This, this is good. The gauntlet's been thrown down. I like it. Yeah, so yeah, when... give me Give me Cleveland in four over Boston and then Toronto in five. <laughs> we shall see. All right. Um, Nathan, do you want to... Stay, join, talk a little bit Raptors here before you go. Oh uh, yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, Brian, if you have to, yeah, Brian, if you have to take off, um, it was thank you for joining. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna bail. Thanks, guys. Nathan, we'll be doing uh over at ours King James Gossip. We'll be doing post playoff game podcast. So if you're ever interested, if your fan base is ever interested for Raptors games or anything like that, just let me know and we'll get those together. Yeah, for sure. Um, guys, check out his work at King James Gospel. Listen to his podcast, King James Gossip. Um, thank you again, Nathan. All right, for sure. Have a good one. See ya. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.